are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, I, I remember I remember a time um, when I thought I was so smart that I could set up any multi-piece furniture from IKEA. I didn't need the manual, or I could set up any home theater without the geek squad helping me out. And there's been so many times when I would build something or set something up, and I would stand up to gaze at the beauty that my hands, beauty of what my hands have constructed, only to see some bolts there, a couple pieces there, maybe a wire there. And, and I would see that the legs were where the arms are at, and where the arms are where the legs are at. And it's just really bad. And, and so I would have to go back to the manual, right? And I had to fix it and properly place all the right pieces, the, the correct nuts and bolts, and voila, it was all done. And I would fix it in the manual. Man, you need it. You need the manual. It's incredibly important. Simply say the Bible is a manual to life. The Bible is a manual to life. But the Word of God also does something else. Now, in the book of James, which is in the New Testament, the Word of God is compared to looking at a mirror. I'm assuming most of you guys have already looked in the mirror this morning, right? You guys looked in the mirror. Why? Because when you look in the mirror, you see the hair that's out of place, don't you? You see, you see that gunk in the corner of your eye that you need to pick at, right? I know, ill, right? Or you see that ripe for popping zit, that's just right at your nose or wherever, someplace really inconvenient, and it's just, it's just ready to explode. It's just so juicy, right? <clears throat> In other words, you see the parts on your face, on your body that need to be fixed, right? I, I've, I've, I've been recently trying to get back into shape. Apparently, round is no longer an acceptable shape. But do you know what my greatest motivator um, is in my life? It's, it's not my my lovely, beautiful physician wife who will conveniently place her finger on my pulse whenever we walk around, reminding me to relax and to work out more. No, it's not her. It's not the fact that I definitely cannot fit into any of my old clothes anymore. It's simply when I just look in the mirror, I get disgusted. I'm like, David. I, I, see, I see a man, I see a father, I see a husband who's just lost his way. Physically speaking, of course. And so the mirror, it, it acts like a, a manual, right? It's, it, it aims as a, to guide and reveal the parts that are simply just wrong about you. <laughs> parts that are misused, parts that need to be fixed. Let me turn to your neighbor and say this. Have you seen the mirror today? Because <laughs> you need to be fixed. Yeah, you, guys, you guys are too polite. Similarly, the word of God is what we need to come to when we see ourselves out of place. It reveals to us all the things that are wrong, all the things about us that are misused or needing to be fixed because the word of God, it's our manual. It's our authority. And here's the thing. If you do not accept the word of God as God's word, then society is right in saying that there is no absolute truth or that truth is relative. Take out the word of God and all you got are the words of man. You got the word of that man, that man, these men, those men, all these men. In other words, then you have no truth. 
It's what people want to say, what they want to believe. There is no authority. But here at Shining Star Community Church, from the new Christians to the veteran Christians to the deacons and the elders and the senior pastor, even myself, we all submit before the Word of God. We believe and trust that the Word of God is inspired, meaning that it is God-breathed, meaning that it is not from man, but it is from God. We also believe that the Word of God is inerrant, meaning that it is without error. And we also believe that God's Word is infallible, which is a similar word to inerrant, only this means that the Bible is not only without error, but that it is incapable, that it is impossible to be wrong. Do you believe that? Without the authority of the Word of God, then everything you hear from me or any preacher or any teacher or anyone who comes up on stage saying they know the secret or the secret to life, it would just simply be empty words of optimism and can-do catchphrases. Those words mean nothing. The reason why we trust in the Word of God and not in the words of man is because the Word of God not only gives us hope, it not only helps us in terms of changing our perspective. No, the Word of God, it does more than that. The Word of God transforms us. Transforms us. Changes us completely. It transforms us because the Word of God is alive. Amen? Amen. And when people submit, and when we hold, and when we completely rely on the Word of God, their lives get transformed. Their spirit transforms. Everything about them gets pumped with new life. I mean, those of you who accepted Christ, the day that that happened, how were you? Yay. Or were you just jumping up, doing something you probably would never have done? Now, I don't know if you know this, but I always thought of myself to be a pretty stoic, like, kind of like chill, reserved person. But when I, was, when I was young and I accepted the Lord Jesus, in front of probably a couple thousand people, this was at a huge concert slash revival type of thing, in front of people, people that I did not even know, I just fell down on my knees and I just started crying like a baby. And I was just totally enthralled into the presence of God. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. God, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I didn't care what people thought. It transforms you get pumped with new life. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the inner thoughts and attributes of attitudes of heart. That is what the word of God does. Amen? Amen. Oh, it's so good. You know what the words of Oprah do, does? Her words may get you a car. And you a car. And you a car. That's it. I need healing. I need to be fixed. I need change. I need life. Amen? Amen? You know, when people first come to know Christ, they typically are drawn to certain parts, certain parts of the Word of God. Typically the saving grace aspect of God's Word. That's why people love and they remember the verses and the passages where we learn about Jesus being compassionate or we know about the healing and the and the healing of the broken, and, and we know about Jesus when he, and he, when he hates the unjust, and we love the Jesus, the Jesus especially who wept for Lazarus, his, his dear, good friend, and we love the fact that Jesus is the one who goes, and he invites the marginalized, and we love the Jesus who forgives, and who, who brings in the tax collectors, and brings in the prostitutes, we love that Jesus, we love the Jesus who goes around feeding the hungry thousands of people, who taught him forgiveness and love, we love that Jesus, and I love that Jesus too. 
But that's only one side of Jesus, you know that. That's only one side of the coin. On one side we have love, and on the other side we have justice, which is God's intolerance and hatred for sin, because God's holy and perfect. On one side we have grace, and on the other side we have truth. Now, most of us, we love love, don't we? We love love and we love grace, but in order for us to fully know God and in order for us to fully accept God, accept Him, it's not just to love His grace, but to love His truth also. It's not just to love His love, but to love His justice as well. So how do we come to a knowledge of His truth and grace? It is through His Word. That's how you know. To know His Word is to know God. Even, even Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of anyone who says that they're a believer and yet refuse to obey the Word of God. 1 John 2, 3, the Bible teaches us, and by this we know that we have come to know Him, Him being Jesus, if we keep His commandments. Jesus Himself even says in John 14, 15, He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And in Luke 6, 46, Jesus speaks to people and says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You see, I pray that this church becomes a church that submits and embraces the word of God as God's word. I pray that we not only love the palatable portions of scripture, the socially acceptable portions of scripture, but we embrace even the difficult parts too, the challenging parts. I pray that we trust that God's wisdom and understanding far out exceeds our own. Amen. So here we have in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. There was a specific issue concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. This was one of the major feasts of the Old Testament law. It's a good one, okay? This, this feast was celebrated for eight days. I think we need to bring that back. Our birthdays, we need to celebrate longer. It is a miracle that you are here. Do you believe that? Turn to your neighbor and say that. Say, it is a miracle that you are here. Not in a condescending way. But... <laughs> Well, praise God, you are here. So celebrate for eight days in the middle of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Now, the meaning of this feast was this. It was simply to remind the people of what their ancestors had gone through, that their ancestors had wandered through the desert, and so that the current generation would appreciate and be thankful for the abundance of blessings that they now enjoy in the land that God had given them. So it's a good one. It's, it's, it's kind of like Thanksgiving for us. It's a great holiday, right? It's an opportunity for us to eat and celebrate, not for eight days, but although maybe we should change that too. But sit down with our friends, our family, and say, man, what, what has God been doing in your life this past year? And we talk about the blessings. We count our blessings, right? That's what they say. And we talk about all the things we're thankful for. That's what they were doing. This is a great feast, Feast of Tabernacle, reminding them where they came from. So the people were doing that, and they were celebrating. Times were good, doing doing great things, and, and uh, all of a sudden, from verse 13, they read that on the second day of the month that they had suddenly overlooked a requirement in their tradition celebration because according to Leviticus chapter 23, during the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is something they overlooked, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the people were required to go out and cut leafy branches and build shelters or little booths and live in them for a week, kind of go camping. But God's command is saying this, during this season, during this time of celebration, go out and camp. Get out of your homes, get some wood, make a little makeshift tent, 
and camp out there for a week. Why? Because they wanted a literal representation of what their ancestors had to do during their trek through the wilderness. Now, the problem for many people is that, is that when we get set in our ways in terms of habit or tradition, it's pretty hard to break free from it, isn't it? When you get set in your ways. Look, you know who was the number one cook in my life before I got married? It was my mom. I think that's pretty much the case for all of us, right? Well, I got married to Grace, obviously, and it was, I think, the first week that she made a popular Korean dish. And I saw her make it, and I was like, but mom doesn't make it that way. What's going on here? Who are you? It was made differently. But let me tell you, when I ate it, it was so good. It was better. Don't tell my mom. I don't care. Tell her. I don't care. Now, these people could have said, wait, no, 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 no. See, why would I add this thing to the thing that we've already been doing year after year? My parents didn't teach me this way. This isn't what's customary. This isn't tradition. No, I'm not going to change this. That's not how my mom makes it. And yet, after evaluating the scriptures and realizing, you know what, this is God's word. These people accepted the fact that they ought to make these shelters to remind them of what their ancestors had to go through. They could have just said, forget it. It's not important to me right now. It's inconvenient. In fact, it's culturally backward. It's not progressive. They probably thought that this change was just completely unnecessary. I mean, this practice a building shelter had been lost for over 1,000 years since the days of Joshua. So for over 1,000 years, they haven't been doing this. Now they're saying we have to. They could have very well said, no. Why? It's irrelevant. We haven't been doing it, so why start now? But no, these people, they say it's never too late. Because God's word stays the same. Because they recognize that God's word is their final and ultimate authority. And that's the lesson here, folks. You cannot say that you view the Bible as God's word unless you're willing to accept to be changed by God's word. If you truly trust in the word of God, then you must not only hear the word of God, but do the word of God. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And I pray that we no longer are hearers, but doers of the word of God. Amen? Amen? So these people took the word of God seriously enough to change their behavior, even if that behavior, previous behavior, was etched so deeply into their own traditions. People of God conform their lives to the word of God. That's what people of God do. People of the world change and conform God's word into their lives. So it's convenient for them. A lot of people may say, I'm not going to accept that God made marriage between only man and woman because I feel like it's unfair. What does the Bible say? God made marriage. We didn't make it. God made marriage. Don't tell the creator how his creation is supposed to work. God's words are meant and meant to change and fix our ways, not the other way around. So we need to ask ourselves, are we conforming to the word, to the word of God? 
Not just in a not just in respect to the whole liturgical stance on Sunday mornings, like oh well, guys, you have to use hymns, you have to use clanging of gongs and cymbals according to Psalms. No, I'm not just talking about that. But are we allowing the Word of God lead our understanding of life? Are we allowing the Word of God to lead our understanding of what family is and how we should lead it? Are we allowing the Word of God to influence our cultural patterns and our understanding? Are we allowing the Word of God affect our ambition and American dream? Are you being led by the Word of God? The Word of God is our ultimate authority. Turn to your neighbor and say that. The Word of God is our ultimate authority. Sola Scriptura. That's one of the pillars of our Protestant doctrine. It says, by Scripture alone. By Scripture alone. This, that means the Bible is the supreme authority in all matters of doctrine and practice. But more than guidelines to follow or instructions on how to live a life of holiness, the Word of God calls us to follow Jesus. The Word of God tells us, follow Jesus. You know what I hear? I hear from a lot of non-Christians, and sadly, a lot of people who say they are Christians, that the Old Testament doesn't mention Jesus. Maybe you read it, too, and you're thinking, where's the name of Jesus? Now, let me say this clearly. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. John 5, 39, Jesus said to the Jewish religious elite, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. He's saying that to them. Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. It's about Jesus and only about Jesus. The Bible is not just a holy book of do's and don'ts. The Bible's aim and purpose is to point us to salvation through Jesus. So what about that Feast of Tabernacles? How does it allude to Jesus? Well, the first thing is this, one of two. The first command was that the feast was to be celebrated in Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. Celebrating in Jerusalem because that's where God met his people. Jerusalem because that's where the Holy of Holies was. No wonder people were commanded to worship there because you worship where God is, Right? <laughs> You can only worship where God is, that's the point. But all that has changed because Jesus the Messiah had come, had lived, had died, and was raised from the dead. He is now ascended into heaven, and he is now at the right hand of God the Father. Now, Jesus, not Jerusalem, but Jesus is our center of worship. Remember what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman? The time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. John 4. We no longer celebrate this feast literally in Jerusalem because this celebration is now fulfilled in Christ. God is only in Jerusalem, that ancient capital of Israel. No, because Jesus is with God in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father, this means that we are to worship Jesus who is in the heavenly Jerusalem. That's why we're called to constantly turn our eyes and lift our gaze and fix our eyes upon the heavens to worship. You ever, do you ever recall that in songs we sing? To fix our eyes, turn your eyes, Isaiah 51.6 Isaiah 46, Colossians 3, 2, Psalms 123. These all say, fix your eyes upon the heavens. That's where God is. 
That's where Christ is. Secondly, there's the issue of sacrifice. According to the Old Testament, during this time of feasting, you'd have to sacrifice no less than 191 animals within eight days of celebration. 191 animals. Sacrificing for the sins of the people, it was necessary. It was necessary and it would be impossible to celebrate this feast without these sacrifices. Yet we know, especially from the book of Hebrews, that these animal sacrifices have come to an end. No more, because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus, the final once and for all sacrifice on the cross. And he is much more effective than a billion slaughtered animals. That's why I think Hebrews 10.1 sums it up nicely. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. The good thing what? Christ and his blessings. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, the law, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Only Christ can make us perfect. Christ, he fulfills it. He perfects it. The Feast of Tabernacles had a purpose, and that purpose has now been fulfilled. It was not designed as an end in itself, but it was designed to point us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The sacrifice that totally and righteously and so wonderfully accomplished the payment for our sins forever. So you see, we now obey the Bible. We now obey the Old Testament, the ancient portions of God's word by, by following Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's word. Does that make sense? So, can you start eating shellfish? Can you start eating animals with split hoofs? Yes. Go eat pork. Eat crabs. Do all that stuff. Yes, indeed. Right? You can. Why? All that was done and fulfilled through Christ alone. This isn't some read-between-the-lines christian attempt to apply Christ into the Old Testament. No, from the beginning, Jesus was the original intent of God's word. Jesus was the intent of all the prophecies and it is only through Jesus the word of God is made alive in us. It is clear. The word of God calls us to change our lives. But more importantly, the word of God calls us to follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus then changes in your life follow. I believe that many people today, even those professing to believe in Jesus, are still living lives conformed to the standards of this world because they're simply not following the words of Jesus. Following Jesus means trusting in the things he says regarding your past, your present, your future. And what does he say about your past? He says that you are a sinner. And what does he say about your present? He says you are now forgiven. And what does he say about your future? He says, follow me, for I know the way. Today, we need to make a choice, brothers and sisters and friends. A choice that, quite frankly, needs to be made every day. And that is, will you allow the word of God to change you? A lot of people don't want that. They want the easy parts of the Bible. The love parts. 
the forgiveness parts, the God healing us parts. What about the denying yourself part? What about the hating the world part? Will you follow Jesus today? Will you embrace his words that you hold in your hands today? I challenge you all today to start reading the word of God. Not just in a textbook-like knowledge-acquiring way, but reading it as life-changing. Reading the promises as already fulfilled, but also reading it as one would read a letter from a lover. You want to know God? It starts by knowing Christ and his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I think every time I speak with an individual, whether it's counseling or just hanging out with someone and talking beyond the superficial, the statement of confusion and, and hopelessness, the emotions of pain and confusion, all that stuff, it seems to kind of interject itself in our conversation. And I think that's the case for everyone. The feeling of direction, uh, being directionless, uh, aimless. And so we need direction. We need guidance because clearly all the things that we have sought after in this life, good advice from friends, the life experiences from our parents, motivational talks from celebrities and and those who have succeeded in the eyes of the world, we've tried that. It doesn't quite seem to work out for us because it was never designed to work out for us. No, Lord, we need something more. We need something, Lord, that doesn't change with the wind. We need something that's constant. Lord, we need something that is sure. God, we need the words of God. Father, you made all. You created all. We want to hear what you have to say. We want your directions. We want your guidance. Not just from someone who's done a little bit better than us, not just from someone who may look a little happier than us. No, God. We want the giver of life to instruct us. And I think a lot of us right now are seeking after that big whoosh sound or something Pentecostal where you just speak audible, thunderous words to us where it shakes us as core. No, God, you, you actually also speak to us through gentle whispers and you speak to us through nonverbal ways and, and God, more importantly, most importantly, God, you have spoken to us already. You have revealed your words to us already. It is by your holy word. The scriptures that we have before us right now, the scriptures that we have abused and misused and misinterpreted and have just put aside because we think it it has no value. Shame on us, God, but bring us back. Bring us back to your word. Lord, I pray for a great thirst and hunger for every single person here. 
I, I pray for a great thirst and hunger, Lord, to just seek after your word and read page after page, verse after verse. Lord, for, for these are your divine romantic letters to us, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and do you know how much I love you? I will give you, even myself, my son, who will not only just bless, bless you, but who will die for you and has died for you. Do you see how much I love you? Now know my words. Meditate on my words. Embrace my words. For my words give life. For my words give advice. More than that, it gives purpose. It gives direction. It gives hope. And it brings transformation. May we never, ever trivialize your words ever again, Lord. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are the word. So lead us today. God, I know that many of us are being challenged right now. Many of us perhaps are just simply distracted. But we ask for your Holy Spirit right now to do your work, to superintend over all to break through the barriers that we all have, even myself. Pray against the doubt and the unbelief. I pray against the skepticism. I pray against the fear. I pray against insecurities. Father, I pray against any anger and bitterness, Lord, and I pray for complete freedom. I pray for complete freedom, Lord, from all those things. And in the name of Jesus, that you would take away and break those chains that have bound us for far too long. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will bring us back to our first love. In the name of Jesus, Lord, that you restore us and reconcile us and redeem us and reclaim us in the name of Jesus. Father God, bring us back. Father, for we are weak and we know not the way, but Lord, you are here. And you will lead us to you. We thank you. And I, brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you guys a moment just to lift up a, a prayer. Seek God with your own words, with your own heart, with your own spirit, and come before him in sweet surrender. Let's pray.